special episode of Rank and Review. This episode, returning guest Brock Knutson and your host and random Canadian Larry Parsons are returning to Scary Comics. Yes, we're doing more Scary Comics, and uh, if it's as good as it was last time, I think we're all in for a treat. As usual with Rank and Review, you're going to expect spoilers for these six comic book movies, and you're also going to expect frequent course language, probably mostly from myself. You can send me feedback at rankandreview at gmail.com. That's R-A-N-K-N-R-E-V-I-E-W at gmail.com. You can find the podcast on iTunes. You can find a page for us on Facebook. And if you leave a review on iTunes or a message or a like on Facebook, I personally will see it, and it's good for the morale. So uh, I would appreciate that. But... Let's keep this train moving, and let's get into Scary Comics, Volume 2. Brock Knudsen is back on my podcast. Woo! <laughs> Um, you are now listening to the 94th episode of Rank and Review, and uh, Brock and I are going to be talking about scary comics once again. Uh, last time, I bet you, you felt you were pretty ill-used having to, to review The Crow Salvation, <laughs> but uh, this time we had a, a, a tough crop of movies. I mean, it just sort of made me think about the fact that Comic books took a long time to, for them to sort of find their way into the culture in in cinemas. Uh, yeah, there was a lot longer. of growing pains before we got to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. <laughs> this one is a lot longer on the rank than on the review. Right? There's a lot of <laughs> rank movies in this set. But that makes it weirdly tough to rank, too. Like I was saying, we I just recently did this Water Monsters episode, which most of the movies were bad, but I had a good time watching it. I kind of liked enjoyed myself. Whereas mm-hmm. this time I had a lot of bad movies, but I, I, it was just frustrating. Partly because I, I do like some of these characters, and partly because I think we're spoiled by how re- comparatively high-quality superhero movies have come. <laughs> well, and, and the funny thing, too, is we've, You've, we really picked like a six that kind of span the different time frames that these movies were made in. And I mean, like, you know, I mean, Darkman's a perfect example. Like that movie was made, was that like 90 or 90? I think it was 90. 1990. 
90, right? I think so, yeah. And right, you know, like you think about that, that's like, uh, is that pre-Burton Batman? Or that's right around right Burton after Batman? Burton's Batman. That's like yeah, right? very close. So like that's, that was a whole new, like really before that, the only, like you had Superman, like the Christopher Reeve Superman, which a lot of people really hold up. But if you watch it, it's a crazy movie. Like that last there's this crazy Lois Lane scene where she like recites uh, a like a, a a poem to him <laughs> in the sky, and it's all fuzzy. It's it's the weirdest damn thing. You're watching it, and you're like, what what is this? Is you know anyway? But um yeah, like it's it's almost like like there was like movies in the '80s, like superhero movies in the '80s to '90s, and then. You know, like then there's like the action superhero movies, like your your Blade. You know, like yeah. it was like it was like a, it was a Wesley Snipes vehicle that was superhero themed. Yeah, and that made it okay. You know, but, and it was. So almost... I'm excited to talk about this because there's a whole, there's a whole progression of like you say how how we got to the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and there's like these are some there's some real bumps in the road that, and and you know it was, it was interesting too in preparing for this. I kind of wikied a bunch of the different movies. And it's like it, almost every movie. It's like started off da 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 production problems, yeah. budget shortfalls, filming over budget, and and you know even just thinking about that right now, as I was looking at my list, I was like, that makes some of these things a lot more forgivable because I really think there were some of these that it was it was really just like it was this passion project that they just got in over their heads, and the studios came in and went. Jump, 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 yeah. you know, well, and, and, and what we got to see was what was left. In this age of creating cinematic universes, it wasn't a guaranteed hit, you know. No. Like, uh, Blade was not a lock on paper. Spawn was not a lock on paper. They're not going to be able to recruit A-list Hollywood talent necessarily easily. Or if they do, they'll get one and, and have to fill out the rest of the parts, right? Uh, yeah. It's practically like having, they have a whole crew of James Bonds. You know, you release a new James Bond movie, even if it sucks, it's going to open huge. They weren't yeah. there yet. They were trying to no. get to that place. So, yes, I think that I can be forgiven and that the, 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 the form hadn't sort of found its feet yet. But at the same time, I'm going to have to be real about the quality. Like people say, we needed to get, we needed to work our way through Raimi's Spider-Man movies to get to where we are with the Avengers movies and you know the new Spider-Mans. Um, I think that they're enjoyable to watch, but they're already very dated films, and um, that's something that's I've come across in a lot of movies, but specifically yeah. in special effects, summer blockbusters, extravaganza type of stuff. They age very quickly. <laughs> And mm -hmm. we're definitely going to have to talk about that for a couple of these movies. Well, and and two, right? Like a lot of these movies predate um, the Marvel DC uh, re-grab of their content, of their IP, right? right? Like, you know, like even to this day, uh, Fox and Sony still own Spider-Man and X-Men because they keep pumping out the movies, right? Yeah. But... Uh, for the longest time, a lot of these properties, this IP was held by these weird studios that had picked them up or, you know, like this one had bought it. And then they got like, um, uh, I'm trying to think which one of them. There's one of them that it was like Lionsgate bought it from Alliance, but they'd made, it was mostly made under one. And, you know, then they kind of, they Split had to go the through rights. two or three because they, they just bought the IP out. And, and all of these were like these small indie, you know, it was just comic book just didn't have the cred. And when Marvel took that all in house and created their Marvel movie public or uh, production company and then 
they own their IP and they can put whatever they want in their movies. That that was really what kind of totally flipped open the cinematic universe. And that's when we started seeing quality because they could put their quality stories into a quality movie, not just, you know, have to dealing with, you know, oh, the director wants it this way. The production wants it this way. It needs to have this in it. We can't not have this in it. You know, his best friend can't be black. He has to be white because, you know, Hollywood. Yeah. And, you know, all of these like yada, yada, yada that like hamstrung some of these. I mean, not to say that, you know, given any extra money that some of these would have been any better. I think there's some real flaws in here. But, but yeah, like, again, like you say, it wasn't a lock. They couldn't just walk in and write themselves a check. Yeah. It had like some of these were made for a really phenomenally low amount of money considering what they were trying to accomplish and like before batman came out like just a couple of years before batman uh george lucas laid that huge egg with howard the duck now you could argue that was like way too weird a property to open with and i think you'd be right in saying that but i was quoted on this show before guardians of the galaxy opened as saying i'm worried that the cinematic universe of marvel is going too weird too soon like I said that when I was talking about James yeah. Gunn's Guardians of the Galaxy. I said I would go see it, and I was excited to see it, but I wondered if maybe they were going too far too soon. Well, apparently not, because Guardians was huge business. Um, so this podcast is going to be dedicated to the days before Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah. To, like, <laughs> I, I think the dark times in the 90s and the aughts. The 90s was when I did a lot of comic book collecting, but it's also kind of mm -hmm. known as a dark time for comic books. As in the quality and just the business was getting a little bit shaky. And you get into the aughts and people stop a lot for the large sake, even yeah. buying comic books. They'll buy the compendiums yeah. or they will read their comic books online. But the idea mm -hmm. of going like weekly to your comic book shop, like everything's changed like in every other medium. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, superheroes survive, comic books survive. Um, but it's it's been a rocky road. And I think that the movies reflect this. I'm I'm kind of I'm I'm really looking forward to this episode. I think it'll be strong, but I promise you, I will let you get a word in edgewise here at some point. Okay, so we have the I watched the director's cut of Spawn. I don't know if you watched the director's cut or not, but I I'm not sure if those three minutes are going to make the difference. Uh, we have we have Blade, starring Wesley Snipes. We have The Punisher, the Thomas Jane version of The Punisher from, I think, 2004, I want to say. Not the Dolph Lundgren Punisher, and not The Punisher with uh, Ray Stevenson, was it? <laughs> Is that the, the War Crimes? Yeah, or the... War... Uh, war Journal. War Zone. Punisher War, war Zone? Zone. Yeah. All um, right. We have the one original uh, property of this list, which in a way might give it a bit of an unfair advantage, but Darkman... Uh, that was not a comic book that was being adapted. That was Sam Raimi saying, I'm going to make you a comic book movie to prove to the world that I'm the guy to direct Spider-Man. But we'll discuss yeah. that when we get there. Mm -hmm. uh, we have Nicolas Cage starring as Ghost Rider. And finally, we're going to wrap it up with the most recent of these, I believe, Jonah Hex. Starring the recently Academy Award nominated at that time, Josh Brolin. That is the tough collection of comic book movies that Brock Knudsen and I are going to talk about this episode. Is there anything you want to say before we jump in? No, let's have at her. Let's do it. It's time. Imagine a substance 
with the power to destroy humanity. Imagine a creature insane enough to use it. Imagine a hero on the verge of creation. From flesh to steel. You must visualize your objective. From blood to blade. Don't get cocky. You have a lot more to learn. From man to spawn. So in the 1990s, as I said in the introduction, I did collect comic books. And in the early 90s, I don't think there was a bigger name in comics than Todd McFarlane. Um, if there is nothing immediately jumps to mind, um, when I knew him or what I collected of him, he just did this sort of new version of Spider-Man. And, uh, the thing about his art was just how much he filled the frame with bizarre details, even details that Mm -hmm. didn't seem completely necessary with Spider-Man. The web was all over the page and with spawn, his personal creation, the Cape and the chains are just everywhere, filling Mm -hmm. the frame, filling the frame. And, um, Spawn as a concept, as an idea of, you know, this, the Hell's sort of leader of the Hell's army, sort of trapped on Earth, uh, trying to do good, but full of this evil supernatural power, seems like a property that's full of potential. Add to this, Academy uh, ignored, unfortunately, but I think award-worthy actor Martin Sheen sides on to be a villain, saying that he'd always wanted to do a superhero movie. So you got the most popular name in comics, you got a cool badass looking superhero, and you got Martin Sheen to bounce off uh, for your your villain. This movie's going to be awesome, right? Right, Brock? Right? You know, <laughs> I I have a bit of a soft spot in my heart for this movie. Really? Okay. Because I I do feel like it its biggest fault well, I mean, aside from John Leguizamo, who I love, but is just so, so scene killing over and over and over and over again. is what comes to mind, you know, <laughs> scary for the wrong reason. <laughs> yeah. Like if you're, if you're afraid of clowns, you know, <laughs> yeah. Okay. But yeah, just like so many just terrible potty joke lines and just, it's, I, <laughs> You know, I remember when you were talking about um, uh, Sin City in our last one that we did, one of your points that I actually really quite liked was that, you know, it's like there are lines that, that work on paper, right? but they don't work on screen. Correct. And and so many of the things that John Legazimo is doing as uh, the violator are like that. There are lines that would seem creepier on page, but when you have someone actually saying it it just it it doesn't doesn't click it doesn't it doesn't evoke that same thing and maybe it's just the way his voice or or whatever maybe it's just a failing of production to to add those things to it but whatever for whatever reason like there's just every scene he's in you just want him off the screen 
I'm, I, I will preface this by saying that I don't think John Leguizamo is a terrible actor. I've seen him do good work. And I've heard a lot of people defend his work in this. But I'm going to sit here and not defend it. I mean, the idea of this character, this hugely powerful demonic creature that's sort of been forced and squished into this ridiculous uh, shape of a clown, uh, you know, is an, a, sort of a cool idea at no point. His leg was almost scary. He seems to be playing up sort of the clownish, goofy, goofball aspect of it, like you say. Yeah. And he waits for the special effects to take over, and he'll become the Violator Monster when he needs to to be scary. But as soon as he becomes a Violator Monster, he's clearly just not John Leguizamo anymore. He doesn't speak. Yeah. He just becomes this vicious thing. And I didn't see that potential in him, and uh, it just it rang discordant. Yeah. I'm just going to do a little bit of service to the plot here. <clears throat> um, Michael J. White is the, our main character. Al Simmons, thank you. Al Simmons is working for this clearly transparently evil dude who played not very well, I'm not happy to say, by Martin Sheen. No. Uh, he's he's basically a hired assassin who suddenly has lost his taste for it <laughs> and uh, gets double-crossed by these transparently evil people. Now, when I say transparently evil, what do I mean by that? Like, do I mean he has a, a beard so dark and short that it looks painted on his face? Well, yes. Do I mean that he has, like, a, a super haughty woman who hangs out in his office dressed like a supervillain? Why, yes. Do I mean that he actually, like, puts a cigarette out in an ashtray full of scorpions for some reason? Yes. <laughs> like, <laughs> if the, the other movie thing that had kinda, a sense that of I humor... I found just amazing about it is, like, there, there's this double-cross scene where, you know, they, they set him up, he's stealing this, uh, you know, ludicrous story where he's stealing a a virus from a North Korean um, virus facility and and it's a double cross and he shows up and Martin Sheen and the assassin chick are there to personally double cross him. Yeah. And I'm like, guy's like a desk jockey. Like, I mean, obviously he they're saying, oh, he used to be Mr. Dangerous and whatever, but it's just like that's the only time he ever shows any flash of, of dangerousness <laughs> other than the fact that he's this puppet master, this spider at the center of his web always you know, doing these things, and and it, it's like, what do you, what you, so you you know you went to all this trouble to try, and you had to get this, you know, lone assassin to go in and steal all this stuff that then you guys were able to go into, and it's like, I think it's just what we're needlessly getting, complex. We need we need to find your tone, like you like what's the tone of this movie? I'm trying to describe the plot, and so far it sounds like it's super hella dark, right? An assassin, he gets burned mm -hmm. to death. He gets sent to hell. He has to make a deal with the devil or is forced to make a deal with the devil to both get vengeance, but at the price of leading hell's army at the time of the apocalypse. All of this sounds way more interesting than this movie is, right? And you mm -hmm. need to strike a tone. Like, uh, is this sort of a light, goofy romp? Or is this a hella dark, you know, demonic, almost horror movie? And uh, this has no idea what it is. When John Leguizamo's here, it's a goofy comedy. And when you know, Spawn is suffering. It's supposed to be very, very, you know, intense and real. Anyway, uh, Spawn is returned to Earth. He has to figure out what his powers are, which is something I also want to talk to you about, what his powers actually are. <laughs> and, oh. and uh, you know, does he have any humanity left? Can he reconnect with his former family? And can he, you know, get vengeance? All of these questions are answered in not very interesting ways, in my opinion. You know, and it's it's it, the story just clumps along from bad plot to bad plot. I mean, it's got this 
he lives in a street scene where it's like this. He lives in an alley, basically. Shitty, <laughs> shitty alley. Sorry, language warning. No, no, this we're crappy all good. alley, um, <laughs> filled with like, you know, really not even like it's like oh, all the homeless people that you could ever think of live in this alley. Like there's hookers, there's all the friendly uh, you know, homeless street, people, street waves, and yeah, but they're with their family kind of thing. And and but it it looks it none of, it looks like a soundstage. Yeah, like a really badly done soundstage, even just like that. Like it doesn't look like a real street. It looks like, yeah, like it just looks like you turn the corner and all of a sudden you're going to be behind the cardboard, you know, or behind the <laughs> the, the 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 pasteboard or whatever. And it's and it, you know, there's this whole like protector of the street, which is right is from the comics. I mean, and I don't know if you've ever watched the. There's like an MTV animated series, show. animated series, that is about a billion times better right. than, than, than what we see on screen. <laughs> and again, you know, like you're trying to, they're trying to cram this massive story arc into two hours. And, you know, I, 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 you know, reading about it, just like how much the production budget was, the original pro- production budget was like 40 million, but everything just ballooned out of control. when they started trying to do this special effects, they had like special effects guys that were like, doing their first work since they quit ILM, you know, and, and they did a, 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 and there are some groundbreaking special effects, like for the time when this was made, like 1997, they, there's some great CGI in this. There are a few moments of very, very good CGI. Uh, I think that when John Leguizamo turns into the creature, the creature he turns into is kind of cool. I have to tell you though, the hellscape and specifically the devil himself looks Ugh. fucking terrible and even it's by awful. the standards of the day of the primitive cgi it looks terrible like i don't understand how the violator demon and the demon that represents the devil exist in the same movie the devil doesn't even move his mouth when he speaks it, it, it's a terrible mm-hmm. rendering of like it's one of the least frightening uh depictions of the devil that i've ever seen <laughs> like it's it's yeah. comically bad it's made worse by the few moments where the CGI is pretty decent. The CGI of the cape, and I understand that they were trying to sort of emulate McFarlane, kind of yeah. drives me crazy because <laughs> you can tell it's just not part of the frame. You can tell none of the actors are seeing the cape, you know? it's So here, here's an interesting fun fact. Okay. More than half of the final effects shots were delivered two weeks before the film's debut. Yeah. See, and I bet you a lot of that was hell. <laughs> I bet you a lot of that was hell. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's pretty awful. There's like scenes where they show the devil's army sort of like rising up from above the flames, and it's not for a second convincing. Like, no, lawnmower man level crap. Like, just no good. <laughs> well, and and uh, you know, it's kind of when you think about it, like, what was this? So, what was Toy Story like? Ninety two. I want to say more in the mid '90s, but I, I don't know. I don't have that information in front of me. But, but definitely, this movie in '97 would yeah. have come out after Toy Story. Just to put, just, <laughs> just to put a yeah, what could have been done versus what was done. But yeah, no, like the cape is fantastic. Although there's this whole thing where all of a sudden, right in the middle, like he crashes down through this window, and his cape is doing all this crazy stuff, and you're like, "Wow, that's new." Yeah, I didn't even know he had a cape. What? And they're like, "Oh, your powers will just activate when you need them." I'm like. You could have told us that, and then we'd have at least gone, oh, he's got a cape, and it does crazy stuff. Like, it's just, it comes out of nowhere. And right? we There's don't this... know what his powers are. Like, at one point, he's yep. being charged by a vehicle, and the cape suddenly turns, like, super 
like a, a spike in the road made of metal and stops the vehicle. There's one point where he removes this bullshit plot device from uh, Martin Sheen's heart so that he, he has it rigged oh. so if he dies that the plague will be unleashed upon the world. <laughs> so he uses his hell powers to remove the device from his heart somehow. Like, we have no idea what Spawn's power are. Spawn doesn't know what his powers are until they happen. I don't care about Spawn getting back together with his family. I don't care about his ex-partner with the bad 90s goatee. I don't care how this movie ends. I just want it to end. Uh, <laughs> like, I hate being this mean about movies. And, like, I'd love to sugarcoat it and say, you know what? There's a couple of action sequences that really do it for me. But I, I was shocked at how, like, I didn't have great memories of it, but... Watching it again now, it was so much worse than I remember it. And I think I know the moment where it hit rock bottom for me. There's a scene where John Leguizamo, I do, I'm not going to get the line word for word, but it's delivered to Martin Sheen. Um, if somebody kills you, we'll have to start the apocalypse now. And then there's a shot of Martin Sheen. And for a split second, you're reminded that this great actor... <laughs> is stuck in the middle of this absolutely fucking terrible movie. They're constantly oh. reminding you of the plot because it makes no sense. John Leguizamo speaks his plan out loud to nobody repeatedly. There's not a lot of... Like, there's a cool makeup job on Spawn, but there's not a lot of expression to him. I don't think that Michael yeah, J. No. White sucks, <laughs> but, I mean, he's just lost. There's a lot of bad he's Power lost. Ranger face, too. Yeah, yeah like, yeah, no, I agree. I you know like, and and there's no pathos. I mean, I just you don't, I don't, there's I, I just don't care about anybody in that movie <laughs> at all. And you're kind of like, hmm, maybe they'll do the plague. Yeah. Maybe that might be kind of interesting. Like you're almost like you're almost like cheering for the apocalypse to happen, just yeah, because it would be different than what you're seeing. <laughs> that might have been a more interesting movie. <clears throat> and again, I might, I might watch that. Actually, <laughs> it, it's weird because Spawn is, you know, well, at least was a hugely popular figure. I'm sort of surprised oh, yeah. that they haven't got around to doing another try. Maybe the animated show just did it well enough that they thought not to bother. But uh, it's brutal. It's a brutal movie. <laughs> so uh, I can't Didn't even, you? as a guilty pleasure, <laughs> recommend uh, Spawn. But. Uh, yeah, here's I, a neat. Uh, sorry, I got my Wikipedia open on it. Did yeah. you know that uh, McFarlane sold the rights to the to do it for a buck, oh just my to make God. sure that he could get it done. Wow. Well. And uh, but he got the merchandising rights, which actually I bet you made more money than the movie. The merchandise is were probably on, still making money. So there's a ton of like crazy spawn figures with like all the different whatevers that you could get. Not that McFarlane's hurting for money, but uh, <clears throat> that's got to... I have to believe on some level he's disappointed with the end of finished product, but he does a commentary track on the DVD. I could listen to it to find out, but that would mean I'd have to watch Spawn again. So I don't think I'm going to do that. <laughs> two hours of him just going... <laughs> I, <laughs> I certainly hope so, because that's how My I felt watching <laughs> thousands of years they have existed among us you keep your eyes open they're everywhere chances are you've seen them yourself and didn't know it a secret nation our livelihood depends on our ability to blend in with a lust for power we should be ruling the humans 
These people are our food. They've got their claws into everything. Politics, finance, real estate. There's a war going on out there. He makes the weapons. I use them. Now, one will lead them to conquer mankind. Tonight, the age of man comes to an end. We're gonna be gods. And one will try to stop him dead. There are worse things out tonight than vampires. Like what? Like me. Half human. Blade's mother was attacked by a vampire while she was pregnant. Half immortal. You got the best of both worlds. All our strengths. None of our weaknesses. He is their greatest fear. And our only hope. Soapy season on all vampires. So, do you want to play a fun game, Brock, with uh, Wesley Snipes? Oh, God. Take a look at... I don't want to play a game with Wesley Snipes. He'll steal my money. If you <laughs> if you look at his IMDb page, look at uh, yeah. the movies that he made before the Blade trilogy, and think of how many of those movie titles that you recognize and remember. Then take a look at all of the movies that he's made subsequent to the Blade movies and ask yourself how many of those movies you've heard of or remember. The sad, brutal truth about Wesley Snipes is that once upon a time, he was an, a, a really, you know, up-and-coming, pedigreed, Oscar-worthy actor who was on the verge of being a huge superstar. And Blade, coming out in 1998, was a monster hit that would add to this. Uh, it's directed by Stephen Norrington, who would go on to bring us the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. <laughs> so, ouch. And it's written by troublesome figure to me, David S. Goyer. David S. Goyer really impressed me when he co-wrote the screenplay to Dark City. And subsequent to this, he's done almost exclusively drag. <laughs> he's attached himself to a lot of... Uh, well, we're going to talk about some of them here, too. A lot of uh, comic books. And uh, he did help out writing the uh, Nolan Batman trilogy. He did help out in a few other places. He worked on the Ghost Rider movies. And here he is writing the Blade screenplay. There was a time where Blade made me really angry, where I thought, I don't understand why everybody likes this movie so much. I don't get it. I, it's all style, no substance. It's sort of the definition, as to me, as a style as substance movie. But I got to take Blade into consideration with these five other movies that we're watching. And what Blade has that definitely Spawn didn't is momentum and special effects that may be a little bit dated, but that are at least exciting. The movie is consistent. Yeah. The movie may be stupid. Yes. It, it you know, Wesley Snipes might be hilariously, like, over the top as Blade. I, I think he is pushing it. But it is a co comic book movie. But Blade, in a lot of ways, has improved in my esteem over time. That, saying, mm -hmm. that said, even though I like Blade today way more than when I first saw it in 1998, I have a real hard time saying that it's a good movie. I think it's a sound-off type of movie, or, like, I'm feeling weird and nostalgic. For some reason, I want to watch Blade. But I think, like, I reviewed Blade 2 on the podcast in the past, and I said then, someday they'll remake Blade and do it justice. <laughs> but uh, for a 1998 swing, I guess Blade is 
moderately passable, but it's not something I can get passionate about. But by all means, Brock, talk me into this. Um, I don't know that I can really defend this movie a ton. It's interesting. You said look at the IMDb, and I am. I'm looking at it, and I'm like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, no. Right? Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, like, uh, I don't know. I I, I mentioned this before. I think we were talking before we were recording. Like, one of the things that kind of rankles a little bit with Blade is it doesn't feel like a superhero movie or a comic book movie. It feels like a Wesley Snipes movie that's got a vampire theme. Yeah. You know, and I mean, some people, you know, I guess like part of it, too, is that there people who I guess people our age will remember this. People younger might not necessarily understand the whole action movie genre from like the late 80s to the 90s. Right. Like the the Schwarzenegger commando and the you know, age of the, the hard Rambo action and, picture. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and 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 so it wasn't you know, you didn't you didn't care you didn't go, hmm, okay, well, let's see. This looks like it's an interesting piece about a Vietnam War vet dealing with his issues. It no. was, this is the new Schwarzenegger movie. Yeah. Yeah. Who cares what he's doing? Who cares what Van Damme really is? Yeah, he's a martial artist. Uh, you know, Asses will Legion. be kicked. Uh, that's the, Asses that's the hook. will be kicked. <laughs> yeah, like, it's, it's, it's details, right? Yeah. Like, it was just details for how this movie is going to be about. And... Wesley Snipes, I mean, obviously, like, he, was even in, he was even in The Expendables 3. Like, The Expendables movies are just, like, you know, camera pictures of what those were like, you know, back then. That's why they're so popular, even yeah. though they're complete garbage. <laughs> and, uh, oh, God, I loathe The Expendables movies so much. Really wish I had the hours of my life I spent watching <laughs> the first one back, and I've never even... You know, anyway. But, like, that's... Reaction here is good to die. That's the thing, like, but, uh, there was a time where Wesley Snipes was huge, like, he should, he, the fact that he's being included in the Expendables almost sudden like they were giving him a, a an olive branch. He's been delegated to direct to video. Apparently, he, oh, yeah. his ego got so big on Blade that he believed that, uh, you know, not only was he as cool as Blade, but he was so cool he didn't have to pay his taxes. <laughs> well, but that's, but that's what I mean, right? Like, you, you see him on screen, and you're like, I don't know if that's the character or if that's or Wesley if Snipes, just Wesley Snipes. Right. And the same with Arnold Schwarzenegger or, or, you know, or Sylvester Stallone. You're not, you're not saying, Oh, I'm so engrossed by their character. You're like, it's yeah. I'm reciting the lines of the guy who I am, but, but that's you the know. thing. Like <laughs> Schwarzenegger is make fun of it, but I, I mean, Wesley Snipes did movies like Jungle Fever and The Water Dance and New Jack City. He yeah. has he has real game, and I think he got to this point ah, where he became yeah. he, he became the superstar. And some people don't handle fame well, so here he is in the center of this huge action movie. Uh, another interestingly, uh, I guess, black anti superhero, the second in a row that we've uh, we've been reviewing here. But at the time, I think it's kind of a big deal. You know, it's. Mm-hmm. An R-rated superhero movie when R-rated superhero movies were not super popular. Um, the story seems serviceable enough. I remember watching it this time thinking it could almost be a spin-off of the Underworld franchise. In the yeah. the, the way yeah, that yeah. the uh, whole system of the 
vampires work behind the scenes and you know some of them feed on humans some of them don't some of them are good vampires mm-hmm. some of them are bad vampires um blade's origin i was not a really big blade fan as far as comic books but i'll go through it real quick for the sake of the podcast when blade was in his mother's womb she was attacked by a vampire he believes that she died but we, <laughs> well that's another great twist of the movie um mm-hmm. He is born, and he's got some of the strength and powers of a vampire, but he also has a few other things that vampires can't. Most notably, he can walk during the day. The vampires will refer to him as the Daywalker. Uh, he's got a real grudge against vampires, so he and his buddy Chris Christopherson like to kill him some vampires. They're counterposed against Stephen Dorff, who was valid, I guess, in the 90s, but less so with each <laughs> passing decade. Um, I like to refer to him as the poor man's Christian Slater. Yeah. That's exactly what he sort of was at the time. I remember he did this uh, movie that was really cool in 1993 or whatever it was, SFW, but is just absolutely cringeworthy <laughs> to watch now. <laughs> um, and he's still doing that sort of 90s fashion victim thing as this super evil vampire. But he also seems to be having fun playing that role. I mean, it's passable. So we yeah. have these two great powers that are going to clash. Uh Steven Dorff wants to use Blade's blood to, you know, bring about a new age of vampire dominance in the globe. And a bunch of kung fu fighting happens. <laughs> That's basically the movie. I mean, am I underserving the plot? <laughs> no, I think that's pretty much um, plot, you know, yeah. air quotes included. Um, I really think that it needs to be noted just how profound the effect that Chris Christopherson has on the success of movies. Like he just kills anything he's in. Like anything that you watch with him, you're just like, the hell is he doing in this movie? And oh yeah, there it goes off the cliff. <laughs> it's like, funny it's... too, because he is so clearly killed in this movie. Like it's ridiculous how dead he is in this movie. And they bring him back for the next movie. It just for no reason. It's absurd. <laughs> um, well, yeah, anyway. I just, um... Script level problems. The the one character that looks like she could almost be a romantic interest for Blade, except for Blade's too cool for romance. Uh, she gets attacked by Donald Logue Vampire. We're going to talk about Donald Logue again later when we're talking about Ghost Rider. Yeah. Um, but uh, they think that they've saved her, but then they haven't saved her, but then they have saved her, but then she goes away. <laughs> like, I honestly don't know what the fuck she was doing in the movie in a lot of ways. And I, I got to go back to this issue where Steven Dorff drops this bomb on Blade that not only is his mom alive, but she's a vampire and she's working with them. Like, that's this thing that comes like late in the game. Yeah. I think that if you have that card to play against Blade, like, <laughs> well, he kind of he kind of uses that to get him to the point where he can capture him to use his blood in his ritual. That, you know, and that's the other thing. It's like, it's this this MacGuffin of this you know vampire ritual that will um, you know bring about the blood god and all this, which is kind of a cool story, but. You know, and then it's like, oh, but I'm a vampire and I used a computer. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and all the other vampires are like, this could never have happened. And they're all like walking. It's just, 
it's so contrived and, yeah. and you're like, oh, these are the most powerful vampires or whatever. And it's like, and my flunkies will push you to your to your spot where you will stand and that will be, you know, and you're just like, yeah, well, then like Stephen Dorff's character introduces himself as I'm a dick. I don't trust anything you guys say, and I'm going to do whatever I can to get power. And then the <laughs> powers that be, the, you know, all these super smart vampires who are running the show just kind of shrug. Huh, well, that's kind of interesting. And then all seem bewildered when all of a sudden he starts doing all this terrible, evil shit. Like, the vampires are such punks in this movie. <laughs> well, yeah, like, except for him. Like, he's he's got his shit figured out, and they are just like... They're like senior citizens. They're like senior citizens. Yeah. Maybe that's maybe that's the deep metaphor. Yeah. Well, that the new breed will understand technology, and that will be you know, or just this idea that like Blade has his poop in the group, right? <laughs> like he's got his shit yeah. together, but literally nobody else in the world does. Not only can he kill a hundred vampires, but he's gonna look cool while he does it, and he's gonna say a really, really bizarre one-liner. I actually wanted to ask you there's some line he gives about there's always some fucker wanting to skate uphill does this ring a bell <laughs> yeah like they do this I do remember that big zoom in on what in the goddamn world is that supposed to mean <laughs> like <laughs> well you'd be it, there, there's I mean, these moments where he'll do a doing kill. it more difficult than it needs to be but what the fuck does some guy who was born as a vampire know about skating right <laughs> like you know it was obviously he speaks russian though if they ended at the end of the movie so that I mean, line in particular though, culture. because they hit it so hard like i got the feeling like david s goyer must have really thought he fucking nailed it on that one <laughs> it just was nonsense and every now and then he'll do a specific move or he'll kill a vampire and he'll like sort of go yeah like to congratulate himself <laughs> and but that's, it, it, but that's it, what i mean about that's what i mean about the action movie right like like, I mean, I'm just looking over here, right? It was right after White Man Can't Jump, right? At that point, he became an action movie star. He just They decided it was good because he did Passenger 57. I don't know if you remember. Yeah, seen I don't know if it's been on here. It's like uh, Air Force One, but it's the black hero version. I don't know. It's I, die I, hard I, on I don't want to sound racist, but it's, it's just it's whatever. It's die hard I don't on know, the I can differentiate it. And, <laughs> but there's this part in it. And um, it's like, he's like, do you play roulette? Always bet on like, black. Yeah, always bet on black. And I'm just like, they contrive that entire scene for that line. But <laughs> you know, like it's that, a that lame. Means, that's right? a lame line, but I guess it makes sense. Like he's the one black guy on the plane, and he's kicking everybody's ass. So I guess it makes sense. There's always some motherfucker trying to skate up. That just seems like a, a, a non sequitur to me. No, I, I agree, but it's it's in that vein, right? That, pardon the pun. But it's in that, that you know, action movies have those hard stop... Moments. Moments where they give the snappy one-liner, you know, ice to see you, right? Like, yeah. But the, that's just it. It's, it's sort of since. like pausing for laughter in a comedy show, but there's no laughter. <laughs> like, you're yeah. holding for a laugh that's not coming. So... Basically, what I'm saying is anytime they stop to talk in Blade, it kind of starts falling apart. When Blade's killing a bunch of people, there's a bunch of blood like coming out of a sprinkler system, and there's a bunch of techno music playing, and people are dying. It is, I guess, superficially entertaining in a, you know, shaking a key, your keys for a little kid type of way. 
And there are moments where I see hints of how this could be a really good movie if someone took it a little bit more seriously. There's this weird scene where they go to this uh, vampire library and there's this huge, fat, crazy-looking vampire thing, blob, sitting there, and they torture Mm -hmm. it with a light for information. That scene seemed ripped out of a different, more interesting movie. (laughs) It was also kind of absurd, but... uh, And and it's that assumption of of weird, like, you know, like the the vampire legends and, like, yeah, like the, the, the librarian scene, which which, you know, also, you know, got spattered with, like, you know, anytime there's anything, like, fat or whatever, and there's always, like, fart jokes, and, right. you know, like, it's got to happen, and it's just, gosh. Yeah. I think that, that was the 90s, too, right? You had to, they had to spice, spice those things in a bit. You couldn't, couldn't put that on screen without kicking it once or twice, right? So in the end, I just, like, I don't have a lot of good things to say about Blade, but I now understand why it was popular, and I kind of can enjoy it in sort of a, the way I will enjoy a music video. Uh, it, it, it's probably going to rank artificially high on this list, but uh, uh, yeah. Uh, I'm not only going to say, just here for the record, to avoid Blade, but you can skip this whole Blade trilogy. They will do it again oh, on a TV show or on a, a, on a rebooted movie, and I guarantee fucking to you, it will be better than this was. The future was something my family would never see. They thought they murdered me. They were wrong. They were dead wrong. That man must die. your memories kill you they can't kill me i'm already dead uh punisher is actually a comic title that i'm not unfamiliar with i actually did read some of the classic punishers when i was back in the kid he certainly wasn't one of my favorites but uh you know i thought it was moderately cool this is a bluntly simple sort of revenge type of character it's you know, take Death Wish, only instead of him just going out on a parade of vengeance to get his family back, he puts on a costume and just decides to take the death of his family out on every criminal everywhere, but in a very unequivocal sort of way. I think that's the interesting line that the Punisher drops, to be called a comic book movie and maybe not a superhero movie. Because I don't know that it's fair to call the Punisher a superhero. He's a vigilante, and he's a murderer, and we like him question mark <laughs> so Not much in you know the idea is you know a, a well well used one like the idea of some guy on a righteous quest to avenge the death of his family is as old as time itself this one just has the you know the costume and his military history and uh you know they just sort of add up the degree of badassery we also have john travolta playing the bad guy and uh, Thomas Jane being our titular Punisher. What this movie does with the comic book, at least as I remember it, is up the ante to a ridiculous degree. As I remember, his origin in the comic book was his wife and his son were killed by mafia. Uh, they were It was like a professional mafia hit. They were gunned down. Cross, crossfire, not even intent. Right. Which so, is one of the, right off the gate, one of the things that I hate about this movie. Um. 
So there you go. But in this movie, because I don't know, I guess the director wanted everything all the way to fucking 10. It's not good enough that just his wife and child dies. The Punisher is originally an undercover cop and doing the sting. And during the big bus, John Travolta's son is killed. And interestingly, it's John Travolta's wife who gives the order that this man needs to be killed and to suffer uh, and r- ridiculously. And I do mean ridiculously. They literally come to his family reunion and execute every single member of his family, run over his wife and child, and then shoot him and throw him into the ocean. It's, it's, yeah. like, it's like Hollywood decided the death of the wife and child not good enough. And you know what? If this movie was going to be a hard, brutal, uncompromising revenge thriller, I might have shrugged it off and went with it. But we were talking earlier about tone. This Punisher movie is a movie that starts that brutally, that horrifyingly. And then the Punisher moves into an apartment building and he makes friends with a big fat guy and a cute blonde chick and a guy with a bunch of piercings. And there's a bunch of fish out of water comedy. And all of a sudden this tale of revenge is set against the backdrop of a buddy comedy. And the tone jump is so extreme that it breaks the movie a little bit for me. Oh, I completely agree. The funny thing is, too, I, um, you know, because, like, you know, a lot of these movies I watched, you know, kind of after work or whatever. So there was a couple of points where I was like, I can't, I got to break this up. I got to stop and watch the rest of this movie, you know, the next day kind of thing, right? Yeah. And Punisher was one of those ones that kind of was like, no, I'm going to fall asleep or I'm not going to, you know, which is right there. But I mean, it was like two in the morning. I'm watching it two in the morning. I'm going to fall asleep, you know, watch, I, you know, watching anything at that point. And uh, I kind of was like, oh, well, how much is left? About an hour. And I'm like, eh. So I, I, I paused it and I kind of go back to it the next day. And I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, here we are right back where we are. And it was like right before the kind of the big attack on the on the apartment block where the right. there's that giant um, <laughs> Russian dude guy. That, <laughs> and, and I mean, up until that point is kind of like you say, the crazy, it's like, you know, Oh, look who moved into apartment six. Yeah. <laughs> you know? The and, day of vigilante uh, moved into our building. And, and and the transition between, like, and that fight transitions the movie. It snaps it back to, like, the most brutal, crazy crap that you've ever seen again. Like, like right out of that, like, all that that was meted out on his family gets brought back and then some on 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 all the bad guys yeah and it starts with the russian scene and but it's funny because even that russian scene while he's in this just frankly brutal fight uh you know aside from there's there's points in it that are 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 quirky and goofy but when it gets down to brass tacks that is a nasty fight like there's some nasty stuff done to people in that fight but it's and not, it's they don't let you take it seriously. They won't let you take scene. it seriously. Yeah. All the other tenants are listening to this music, so they don't hear the terrible fight going on. And I think it's supposed to be funny or clever or amusing or something. But the two things being juxtaposed do not do not work at all. <laughs> yeah. And then, so yeah, so then he finishes the fight with the Russian guy, uh, breaks his neck, jumping him down the stairs in a somewhat anticlimactic way. Other guys show up, and it turns into a friggin' torture scene, mm-hmm. which was hard to watch <laughs> it's right back to the that brutality and it was just yeah exactly it's so jarring like it just it's 
Are you it's, a cutesy buddy comedy or are you a grimace shit revenge picture? Because you got to pick one and go with it. I'm sorry, you cannot be both. <laughs> uh, well, and and the whole weird setup plot that he Nancy Drews around to convince the John Travolta that his wife is having an affair with his friends so that yeah. he'll murder them both. That kind of convoluted shit. I hate it. I hate it in any in, in a movie like this. It kind of leads back to this other thing. I'm gonna there's major plot point right from the beginning that I freaking hate. Right. And it's this he's a Navy SEAL. So then he decided to dial back his his life and, you know, go for something, you know, less, I don't know, murdering people and swimming in the ocean and decided to become a deep undercover drug operative. <laughs> Like, that's a career path that just flows, right? Like, you just leave the army, and all of a sudden, you're a hardcore, deep-cover detective in in a mafia. No. And not even... And, and, I mean, he's Italian, and he's trying to work against the Italian mafia, and he's posing as an East German guy. Because he doesn't... I, I just... It's stupid. It makes no sense. As much as... I thought that the whole murdering the whole family thing was a very like that was a brutal scene and it was very effective to, you know, set up this this vendetta that he goes on. It's a retribution of retribution of retribution, right? Like he legitimately did, you know, was involved as a cop. And I'm not saying that cops deserve to get killed if they're involved in things. But like that sting went bad and that kid did die. Yeah. Where does the cycle of violence end, brother? Where does it end? You took the risk. Yeah. You went deep undercover. And your family paid the price for that. Yeah. So you own some of that. You made that decision to be that cop. Yeah. But then the flip side of that is this like, you know, oh, I'm going to stake out your fucking car and I'm going to get you fake parking tickets and this Nancy Drew bullshit. Yeah. And, it, and it's like, I'm sorry, that that shit can only work in a stupid movie. <laughs> That somebody goes, oh, and because he's super jealous, and this is how it's going to work, and that's how it's going to be, and blah, blah, blah. Here's what Convoluted. I will say. Like, this is going to sound like I'm defending Punisher, so <laughs> <laughs> let me temper that. But, like, I think what they were going for is, like, he saw his family destroyed in front of him before he was defeated, right? Or before he was killed, in quotation marks, and made to become the Punisher. And what he's trying to do to the John Travolta character is give him the same sort of experience. Only instead of yeah. sending goons to kill all the guy's family or killing all the guy's family himself, he tricks him into destroying, into self-destructing, right? That's what they're going for. The problem is twofold. A, that's stupid. <laughs> and B, John Travolta does not bring the menace as a villain at oh, all. He's not awful. frightening. He can yell at his like underlings and bark orders, but I don't believe he's scary. I don't believe if it came down to a showdown between him and Thomas Jane, it would even be fucking close. He is 100% easily manipulated into perfectly into the trap. And uh, Will Patton, who I think is a really strong character actor who plays his right-hand man and best friend, who somehow, <laughs> somehow, John Travolta has missed the fact, even though they've been friends their entire life, is gay. <laughs> right? but believes wholesale that he would, you know, try and steal his wife from him. None of that the, makes sense. <laughs> it, it, that, that, I will say this in, in, in like giving, you know, credit we're due. The, the scene where he knifes him to death yeah. was 
was harsh. That was the one that and the running down the 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 the, the family were the two scenes that I was like, Oof. yeah. But they were a little again, hard. Yeah, you know. they belonged in a different movie. Clearly. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, yeah. I, no, I, agree. I don't know if it's studio interference. Maybe the studio said we need this to be like lighter. Uh, and like I said, they got interesting actors. Ben Foster. I don't know if you're familiar with Ben Foster. He plays the kid with all the piercings that gets tortured. Oh yeah, yeah. He he was good. Yeah, and he's a good actor, and he's gone on to other you know brighter things. Yeah. But like. Uh, and like I say, Will Patton, when he gets stabbed by John Travolta and he looks at his best friend and just says, what are you doing? <laughs> like, no. Why Why are you killing me? Yeah. Like, he says, like, those are his final words. And it's just like. It's brutal. It's brutal. Yeah. But it, yeah, it, no, it, I, unfortunately, it's wasted. And then we uh, go to the final stupidity. Like, I don't believe in fighting the, the plot, you know? Like, the guy decides to wear a skull costume and avenge crime because that's the decision he made. We can we can make that. But he explodes John Travolta in this huge car lot that he's primed with explosions so that the fire that burns makes the shape of a skull that you could only see if you were looking from a helicopter above it. <laughs> Who was that for? Who was that for? And again, does it fit with the serious tone of the movie? Or does it even fit with the goofy tone of the movie? Well, what and is does, this? He doesn't even give him as hard a death as he probably deserves. Yeah. I don't really like The Punisher. I didn't really like the comics. I don't right. like the whole idea of He's watching a vigilante. vigilante. That's what's sort of I interesting about it, No, I know, but it, I, yeah. I don't get all... I, it's, it's a... I, I I like superheroes that are superheroes. I don't like, and even if they kill people, I don't really care that much. But I don't. He's just a fucking soldier that goes around killing people. Yeah. You know, and and I I know there's probably more to it than that, but I just never grooved on it. It's just never my it was never my my thing growing up. I like Batman, right? Batman's principled. Yeah. Punisher is completely not, and that's brutal. But when he like wire ropes john travolta to the back of his fucking car and starts to drive off i'm like oh shit he's gonna drag him to death no that is hard ass shit and then it's like pops out in the explosion and i'm like the fuck is this shit he was already probably mortally wounded and he did die with the realization that he'd killed his wife and his best friend for no reason (laughs) so i mean it wasn't an easy death but like uh it I don't know. Like the the tone of the movie breaks it for me. Um, I love. I, technically, I do like the I think way he it's kills well, the other son though, with the with the the bomb and the isometric and right. That's Punisher. Like that is so classic Punisher. And that so yeah, the whole like convoluted murder thing with the friends. That's not the Punisher from at least from what I've ever read. He wouldn't bother doing that shit. No. He just he might shoot the he dude. might make him fucking watch while he, you know, cut her throat. But he wouldn't. He wouldn't come up with some like okay so that's the woman that you know ordered your family dead oh her husband got to got got to kill her good revenge and again it also implies that he somehow knew that (laughs) too which i'm not sure how he could have known i think he would have just assumed that john travolta did them anyway Uh, oh and i i i did want to make sure i mentioned the fact that you know as soon as they showed the medicine man in his canoe that you just knew that that was going to be who was going to be putting him back together and nursing him back to yeah. health. 
because he's, you can't have a character like that in a movie and not have it go that way. Absolutely. It's like the mentor character in in Spawn. He's just such a derivative character that we didn't even bother mentioning him. But Oh yeah, uh, I forgot about him. Yeah. Is there anything no. else you wanted to get out before we move on? Just watch Netflix. Watch the Netflix version of Daredevil if you want to see the Punisher. Who? No foolish heroics, if you please. Is. Dark Man. They destroyed everything he had. All that he loved. Everything that he was. Now. Crime has a new enemy. And justice has a brand new face. I was afraid that you wouldn't want me anymore. Of course I still want you. The good news is that I know who's behind our little troubles of late. Finish it. He has the power to look like any man. They're still both sons of witches! But he is unlike any man. So, here we go. We're going to talk about Dark Man. It's directed by Sam Raimi, which I've gone on record in the past as saying is a, a director that I like. And uh, he would, after this, go on to making the Spider-Man movies. And uh, I think that he wanted... He wanted to do Spider-Man for a long time. He said that he had, like, a drawing of Spider-Man on the wall of his bedroom when he was a kid. Like, he loved Spider-Man. And some of the action sequences towards the end of Darkman, with Darkman swinging around, being towed by a helicopter and flying through the oh, air, yeah. you could really sort of see him almost auditioning for Spider-Man. But He really wanted to do the spirit, too. That was his... Or spirit and... He wanted to do a Batman movie. That's why he created Dark Man. Was, that was he wanted. Those are kind of his his um, um, his personal favorites. Yeah. Well, uh, and as usual with uh, Sam Raimi, he wanted you know Bruce Campbell to star. And as usual, <laughs> the studio said no for some fucking reason. <laughs> so he ended up getting Liam Neeson, a sort of young you know spry Liam Neeson. What this movie has going for it, A, it's an original property, so nerds like you and I can't say, why didn't they do this? How come the costume's not right? Blah, 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 blah. And it's, I love it. The other thing is, is that we have a true auteur behind the camera. So yeah. uh, he's telling his story in exactly the way he wants to tell it, just as crazy as he wants to tell it, and just as violent as he wants to tell it. And let's not be, you know, beat around the bush. This has got, like, pornographic levels of violence to it. It is unbefuckingly violent and crazy and over the top. But it knows that it's unbelievably violent and crazy and over the top. And if you're willing to go with that vibe, which I realize a lot of people aren't, I think you'll have a lot of fun with Darkman. But I do think it's one of those experiences that you either love or loathe. I put myself in the love category, but I hold no resentment towards those who are on the other side. Where do you land, brother? You know, it's funny. I saw this movie. I'm pretty sure I went to it in the theater. I, I would. I don't remember much, but I remember it just blowing me away because I 
never seen a superhero movie that was like violent like this was like it's 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 almost half a horror movie <laughs> oh yeah and absolutely. um you know like there and there are some, some you know profoundly uh yeah like insane stuff like the, the the scene where he's getting you know tortured and beaten up and ultimately you know everyone thinks he's dead you know from the you know in the the bath and yeah you know the a bunch of goons show up at the scientist's lab they burn his hands brutally they dip his face in acid they blow up the entire lab they kill his uh, assistant and in the explosion his body is somehow thrown from the building lands in the river and miraculously he survives but because of the crazy extent of his injuries he when he's recovered nobody knows who he is he's nursed back to health and his powers i guess you would call them is a he does not feel pain all of the yeah, nerve because he had the in his third body. degree burns they they severed all his nerves so that he could so that he wouldn't be screaming in agony all, all of the time. time so he feels no pain and he's a scientist who has got this formula where he can make very convincing sort of fleshy masks but they only last for a limited amount of time so most of the time he's this terrible charred monster but he can wear these skin masks to make himself look like pretty much whoever he wants to and covertly sneak into places so he can oh, be the, anybody the, the dark, uh, sorry and the dark part comes in in that the skin falls apart in the light that's, yeah, it that's breaks the, apart right. under sunlight but so he can be basically whoever he wants, and he doesn't feel pain. The trade-off for that is that he has lost his mind. Yeah. He is crazy. Yeah. The, the, the cutoff from the sensory inputs makes him... Um, he loops, right? So if he gets angry, he just gets angrier and angrier and angrier until he is completely enraged. But it also gives him adrenaline and, you know, again, right, like... That whole thing. So it's, yeah, I, I actually, I like this movie. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think that there's a few, uh, I think part of the reason why it works is there's, it doesn't make some of the same stupid mistakes that a bunch of these other movies we've been talking about make. Right. And the, one of the biggest pluses to it, I think that, especially for kind of how it is, like it's, it's, it's a little goofy, but it's not. Oh, it's, it's a lot. It's goofy. very brutal. Yeah, no, but it, uh, Danny Elfman does the score, right? <laughs> no, yes. It's 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 a case study in how music can like how your score can can make your movie work because it it there's so many of those scenes that are just and I mean I love Danny Elfman stuff, but it's it's there's just it works the the music behind it makes it makes you go along with it in a the way that you scale. necessarily wouldn't otherwise. The scale is huge. Like, this is definitely one of those Sam Raimi movies that grabs you by the face and pulls you through the experience of this movie. They're constantly hitting you with crazy camera angles and really, uh, like, surprising scenes, either with violence or character choices that you're not going to see coming. And it's this sort of cartoon feel to it that makes it feel comic book. Like I said, mm -hmm. this isn't based on a comic book. This is Sam Raimi making a comic book movie, a la Sam Raimi. So he's got some of that crazy evil dead energy, but he's making it into a comic book movie. Really interesting thing about uh, Dark Man, and we're going to get into some fan theories and conspiracies here, but it's one that I am on board with. Sam Raimi 
was in tight with these two guys called Joel and Ethan Cohen. <laughs> and uh, he's super good friends with Francis McDormand, who was at that time, I believe, engaged mm-hmm. to, to Joel Cohen. And she's in the movie. And Joel Cohen's first editing job was helping up doing some edits on Evil Dead. And the Coens and Sam Raimi had previously worked together in a give-and-take sort of way on this movie called Crime Wave, which Raimi directed. Mm -hmm. Subsequent to this movie, they worked together. Raimi shot Second Unit and co-wrote the screenplay to their movie Hudsucker Proxy. I love that movie. The theory is that the Coen brothers did a ghostwrite on the the draft Uh of Darkman. And I encourage you to listen to some of the dialogue of the henchmen and the villains, specifically Larry Drake and his uh, collection of fingers and a cigarette stubbing thing that he or his huh. stogie knife. There's yeah. uh, there's a few exchanges in this movie that feel very Cohen esque. It's still Raimi's world. It's crazy and it's over the top and it's not something huh. you'd see in typical Coens. But I believe it. I believe it. I don't know it to be tra- uh, fact, but watching this movie and knowing the relationship, how close yeah. they all were, and that Francis McDormand was in the movie, and that they worked basically on three projects in a row together, I think there's some Coen Brothers fingerprints on Darkman. Now, that maybe make me like it a little bit more, but it certainly <laughs> doesn't make me say that I'm going to elevate it to the level of a Coen Brothers joint, but it's yeah. just one of the things to, that's really interesting about the movie that, that's part of the reason I, I, I'm fascinated by it. I actually, you know, and it's funny because uh, Francis McDormand is like just so not used to her capacity in it. It's, no, it's a real, it's it's a rescue me role. It's a rescue. Yeah, it's me really role. poor. <laughs> I honestly, you know, it, it, and for all that it mattered in the movie, they could have just she could have just died, and it could have been part of his revenge. Like she really, the only thing that she kind of did was that. You know, that symbolic uh, you can't go back thing, right? right? Where he tries to be himself to be with her and it doesn't work and it just further drives him insane. And that's uh, one of the things I do love is is um, the, uh, you know, those weird special effects zoom in flashing light color, like to show him going crazy and in rage. Right. I love that kind of stuff, right? Like it reminds me of how they used to do it in the old days and and you know like that I, I i find i think that works so much better than some of the other things that we you see in some of the other movies that we're going to still talk about it's whatever full I'll... of old school blue screen effects and crossfades yeah. and in a way that i i i don't think it was done self-consciously at the time i think he was doing it as cheaply and efficiently as he can and sam raimi knows every trick in the book so he's gonna fucking yeah. use them but you're right i think that's part of the things that makes it perpetually watchable to this day um, you remember one of the henchmen, uh, his name is Rick. He's got these glasses, but he is shoved out of a, a sewer hole mm-hmm. and smashed oh, by a car. That's yeah. Sam Raimi's brother. <laughs> <laughs> Fun fact, Classic. everybody. I wanted to talk about Larry Drake. Actually, we just talked to him about him previously. In the episode previous to this, weirdly, he was a, a bad guy in the movie, the beast, this Peter Benchley squid movie. Ooh. Any, anyway, uh, He's an interesting figure. He was more of a TV guy for a long time here. And uh, up until this point, he was probably known to most people as the guy who was the handicapped dude on, I want to say, L.A. Law or maybe oh, right. St. Yeah. Elsewhere or L.A.'s Law, one of those popular yeah. late yeah. 80s, early 90s shows. 
And uh, because of this movie, he ended up, you know, being cast as mad scientists and Dr. Giggles. Because, say what you will, uh, Durant's character is way over the top. Like, way over the top. But Larry Drake does bring the evil. And he does seem to understand, more so than some of the other actors, what kind of movie he's in. I, 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 I like Liam Neeson a lot. But part of me is heartbroken that we only get that brief glimpse of Bruce Campbell. Uh, as the dark man, because I think Bruce Campbell would have latched onto the crazy in a in a more entertaining yeah. way than Liam Neeson. Did. Again, all due respect to Liam Neeson, but especially at this time in his career, he wasn't the badass superhero guy, right? He was the Oscar bait sort of hunky dreamboat dude. Um, I don't was think he even. Was like, that? I, I, what other movies did he do around around this? Wasn't this one of his? This seems like it should have been one of his first. That wasn't like a you know country gentleman. It's certainly one of his first starring roles, but it's certainly one of his first big starring roles. But Neeson's been around forever. You bump into him in like crazy movies, like The Bounty with uh, uh, Anthony Hopkins, and uh, was he in Excalibur? Like I don't know. You see him in like he's been around forever. Whenever they need a mentor type figure, (laughs) usually he'll get a phone call. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And again, I don't want to sound like I'm talking shit about Liam Neeson. I do think that he's a good actor, but I think that you know. Whenever you decide not to listen to Sam Raimi, it just seems to be a mistake, right? Yeah. Um, I, I, I picture, you know, Bruce Campbell, who proves to be a genius for his portrayal of Ash again and again. How interesting and different and the movie might have been, you know? Uh, mm-hmm. I, like, I don't want to review the movie that might have been against the movie that is. I still think the movie that is is fine, but... There's so much interesting stuff about this movie and around this movie that I can't not like it. <laughs> but I, well, as I know, said at the beginning of the review, I also understand somebody watching this, even if it's just your wrong mood or the wrong day, it would just it would just hit you wrong and it would be unwatchable. <laughs> what is this nonsense? It's funny though. Like I, I totally I agree with what you're saying there too. I was it was the Darkman was the last movie of the six that I watched, and I kind of. I don't know if I did it on purpose, but there's this part of me that, cause I, I remember it's one of those movies that I remember watching. Yeah. And I remember being like, wow, that was a crazy movie. I really liked that. And I was really worried because so many of these other movies that I watched, they got uh, worse. You know, I, was, I was like, Oh yeah. I don't remember blade being a great movie, but boy, I don't remember it being quite that bad. You know? And so I was like, it's dark man. Gonna, is this going to break my like, little dark man crush that I've always had all these years. And it didn't, I was, uh, I was pleasantly surprised. I found new things in it, which yeah. I wasn't expecting to find. In a way, this movie is guilty of a lot of stuff that we bitched about in the other movies is that it's not all the special effects have aged. It's dealing in a lot of cliches, but I think that Sam Raimi knows what he's doing. He knows he's dealing in crazy archetypes. He mm. knows that Francis McDormand is a rescue me character. He knows, you know, that, that you know, <laughs> the big bad guy is playing it way over the top. And that of course, the final climactic fight will take place in, you know, the uh, skeleton of a, of a building that's being built, a high rise, so that they can have this balancing fight thousands of feet above the ground, like there's a lot of comic booky stuff to it, but it's mm-hmm. done deliberately and joyfully. So they don't feel like cliches. They just sort of feel like a celebration of the form. <laughs> uh, the only thing that sort of colors it with a different crazy spin is like I said, the level of crazy violence to it. 
So uh, that's what I would say. If you if you like superhero movies, you might like this. If you like crazy over the top violence, you'll probably <laughs> definitely get behind Dark Man. Yeah, uh, and if you're a Sam Raimi fan, you've yeah, probably already seen it. Absolutely. Story goes that he'll be normal during the day, but at night, in the presence of evil, the rider takes over. There's a TV show that I really enjoyed a lot called Community that uh, Dan Harmon created and you know, huge fan. Uh, in the third or fourth season, uh, our main character Abed is taking a class into which they get in a conversation about <laughs> Nicolas Cage. Is he brilliant or is he awful? Is he a genius or is he insane? I love that episode. <laughs> and the debate almost drives Abed crazy. Ghost Rider is clearly evidence to the fact that Nicolas Cage is crazy. Like, I believe he referred to this as his sort of uber acting. He wanted to try out some sort of crazy edgy stuff. And I think that the idea of playing someone possessed by demons would give him some more freedom to kind of go super out there in that crazy Nicolas Cage type of way. But... Uh, this property, this Ghost Rider comic book character, is like awesomeness on a page. I remember seeing covers of the old uh, Ghost Rider comic book when I was a kid and just thinking, that shit's awesome. Every cover looked like it would be ink on some badass biker's arm. You know, you got the skull, oh, yeah. you got like, the flames, like... you got the chains, you got the, the motorbike with the burning fucking tires, like... <laughs> More at home in heavy metal yeah. than, than in the pages of a Marvel mag, for sure. And the image there is very strong, and it's a demonic figure, but he's still punishing the wicked by showing them their sins and, yeah. you know, collecting souls for the devil. And No, the, that, that friggin' motorbike with flaming wheels? Oh, man, yeah. yeah like, that, like And the skull face, the fire, it's, 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 it's oh, fucking man, cool. It's plastic. It's, it's so fucking good, cool. Yeah. Let's be real. It's fucking cool. Um, mm. uh, but it works way better in the pages of a comic book than it does in a movie. Um, my God. <laughs> like, I, I'm struggling because I'm not sure quite where to begin. But... You know, you know the part when it stops being, like, the young version of him and it's, like, the old version of Nick Cage and you're like, hey, this looks like a pretty... This how I'm kind of get behind this movie. And, then, like, Nick, Nick Cage shows up and you're like, eh. Well... <laughs> Here's the thing. I think part of it might be that outside of the cool-looking Ghost Rider figure, there's a lot about the character that's dated. It came out in the late 70s when Evil Knievel was super cool, yeah. right? Yeah. So Johnny Blaze is like emulating the Evil Knievel thing. Uh, he's a stunt driver, and that's really cool, whereas people are less impressed by people who jump over buses these days. But yeah, we have to pretend it's the late 70s and people still give a shit about that sort of thing. Um, and he's a stunt performer and his daddy is dying and he makes a deal with the devil and surprise, surprise, the devil fucks him over. Um, I mean, 
the Faustian deal in movies is something that happens again and again. You could sit here and say, you know, just don't make a deal with the devil. It's never going to work out. But I don't believe in fighting the plot. This is the movie that we, we are presented with. Let's roll with those punches. Well, and, and at least it's a true it's true to the origin story. I think um, I don't think it was for his father, but it's the, other than that, it's it's pretty, pretty close, pretty yeah, pretty close. I don't. But the problem is to me is that the tormented soul, this Johnny Blaze character, is kind of an asshole. <laughs> like when he's not the demon that is like you know f- uh, pure fury and rage, this fallen angel thing, uh, he's kind of just defaulted dick. Um, uh, yeah, his dad died. He made a deal with the devil, and he was going to be possessed. But he could have had a conversation with his girlfriend instead of just driving up to where she was waiting for him giving her the stink eye and then driving away, you know? He constantly is, you know, punishing the people around him for helping him. And uh, when he wolfs out into Ghost Rider, Nicolas Cage disappears. He becomes a special effect, albeit a cool one. But not not even that good, honestly. This is a long 123 minutes. I will say they made a sequel to this movie called Ghost Rider mm. Spirit of Vengeance, and that is not a good movie. It's not a good movie, but it is so much better <laughs> than this movie, both mm. in the way it tells stories and in the efficiency of the storytelling and in telling a clear plot that makes sense. And just, it's sloppy. It's sloppy. Our big bad in this movie is played by uh, Wes Bentley, who was... Uh, recognized for American Beauty in like in 1999 and then just disappeared for a long time and he's slowly starting to crawl his way back now but he just looks like this sort of weak pretty boy not much of a <laughs> a real struggle to, to for this demonic thing to take off it wouldn't seem all of his power is sort of packed into this sort of rich kid seniority and that he's got a fate he's got all this power that's behind him but once again like i was talking about with with punisher john travolta was never scary even when when wes bentley's face would wolf out for no reason there's this one scene where they show him walking in the desert and he just makes this grar face for us apparently just so we make sure that we know he's evil like I'm never scared for him. I'm never worried for him. I don't really care or want to understand his plot, you know? <laughs> he kills a bunch of people by touching them, and he recruits a bunch of evil demons, and he's largely ineffectual as a villain. So it's a good thing that we have Academy Award winner Nicolas Cage to center this movie and give us stuff worth watching and talking about, right? Right? <laughs> no. <laughs> you know, it's... <sighs> And it's funny, you, you, you need a good villain to tell a good story, and there's nothing good. There's just, it's, I, oh God, I hate this movie so much. Um, <laughs> there's these three elemental lieutenants mm-hmm. that, that he has, and they're like, they're like, if you took dirt and you put an evil demon in it, it'd be like demon dirt. Yeah. And so he has, they're like the mini bosses that he has to fight before he can finally get to Blackheart or whatever the hell the guy's name is. Blackheart. And, what, a, what a terrible yeah. name. <laughs> well, but a legit Marvel character. Okay. You know, like he is actually like Mephi- uh, Mephisto played by um, um, Peter Fonda. Henry, or Peter Fonda. Thank you. Um, 
his that that character in the Marvel universe does have a son. That son is Blackheart, and Blackheart does you know like that. Those are those are canon villains from uh, from Ghost Rider. They weren't just making but, shit up out of nothing. No, 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 no. I mean, they don't look like that. They don't take on human form. They're like these Monsters. crazy monstrous things and whatever. Um, they actually at one point um, when Blackheart's walking in the desert, his shadow looks like the way the character's drawn in the car- in the in the comic. Hmm. See, I missed that. It, this weird head thing and whatever. Anyway, That's but, good to um, hear, though, that there was yeah, at least so, some fan service happening. Well, mm, <laughs> yes yeah. and no. The fans are waiting very impatiently for every time that the Ghost Rider comes out because that's all they're there to see. And I mean, um, yeah, so there's Elemental Earth Guy who uh, uses all his Elemental Earth powers to ram a truck into Ghost Rider. Yep. And it doesn't seem to hurt him at all. He's one of these bad guy or good guy, bad guys. He can take all the punishment in the world and it won't be a problem until the script needs him to be wounded for a moment. And then all of a sudden he'll have to shake something off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, he'd he make a great pro wrestler. But, um, but yeah, like, and so, and then he just, he just kills them with a chain and you're just like, that was, that was supposed to be a fight. Like yeah. he hit him with a truck and it, this guy had earth powers. And he hit him with a truck. Like, <laughs> what the hell are you doing? And then, you know, and then he fights air guy and his chain goes through the air guy and he has to use it, uses it to create like a, a, a hot, uh, a flaming cyclone to burn him to death inside it. And like, but these fight scenes, these like, you know, and they've been building this up. They built up these guys and they, these fight scenes are like, they're, they're under two minutes. I swear to God, there, there's nothing to them. It's like, I try and do, he tries to do this, the guy laughs at him, and he tries to do the other thing, and he kills him. Yeah. And that's the scene, and you're just like, but but I wanted, and I, and I don't know if it was just a limitation of the CGI, or they just didn't want to do it, or they just spent too much money buying Nicolas Cage, you know, bunny rabbits <laughs> to drink their blood, or whatever the <laughs> fuck he does to get himself in character. But like, it was just, you know, and then, um, you know, I was saying, like, I, I actually, I, I used to really hate this one part of the movie where, um, you know, Ghost Rider has gotten, the, the, there's a, a scroll with all these, or a, a contract with all these damned souls that is this a massive power, and that's the, the MacGuffin in the movie. And it's being held by Sam Elliott, who's the last Ghost Rider. I was going to get into uh, that and how stupid that was, but yes. Go oh, on. God, I fucking hate that scene, too. <laughs> <laughs> all of it. I hate all of it. But anyway, so yeah, and I I used to really hate this part because um, Ghost Rider is coming to give this. <laughs> he's trying to give this scroll to Blackheart, right? Like the That's... villain is going to get the MacGuffin in exchange for the girl, of course. He's going to rescue the girl. You saw that coming, everyone. And um, the water guy, the last of the three elemental guys, attacks him in a swamp because obviously you know he's got to ride his motorbike through a swamp. And be really, that was the other thing. He has to be really sneaky about it for no reason whatsoever. The movie needed another action sequence, so they gave us one. Right. Yeah. So, and he gets attacked, and then they like, the thing pulls him into the water, and he's like he's going to drown, and then he gets angry and he burns him alive in the water. And it's just like, it means nothing. It's just, but I was, I hated that scene because I couldn't figure it out because I was like, what the hell is he doing? Why is he attacking him when he's trying to get to his boss? And I actually caught something in the rewatch. I was telling you about this before. When I rewatched it, there's actually a scene where Blackheart says, no, no, 
I, I need him slowed down for a bit because he's weaker in the daylight. So he's like sacrificed his pawn for it. And I actually kind of like that. That, 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 that turned that around on me. That congratulations for finding something to like here. Uh, <laughs> Silver lining. Yes. I don't hate it as much as I used to hate it. Two things I that, uh, I usually have no problem with, but I have a problem with here. Sam Elliott. Love the man. He's uh, the stranger in the big Lebowski and he's just got that deep voice that you can't help but love. He gives us a little bit of narration to help us give some of the backstory uh, of the devil and whatnot and the sort of origins of the Ghost Rider legend at the beginning of the movie. And then he shows up when Nicolas Cage wakes up uh, in the in a graveyard. And he, yes, he, as you mentioned, is the guy who's holding this ancient contract, which is supposed to be so important to the plot. And then at the very end, when Nicolas Cage is going to head out to the big bad fight, he turns into the original Ghost Rider on horseback, and the two of them ride to the location of where the battle will take place. And then Sam Elliott says, this is where I leave you. <laughs> like, he could only change one more time, so he wanted to ride with Ghost Rider, but not help Ghost Rider. <laughs> like, like... I, I know! I what was the, what was the point? Thing. What was the point? Like, this movie is 123 minutes long. You could have taken that whole business with him out of it. Leave the narration, because we like his voice. Nothing would have been lost from the movie. He finds the scroll yeah. somewhere else. The other thing is Eva Mendes, who I think is a decent actress on top of being beautiful, who has nothing to do here. <laughs> nothing to do here. Johnny Blaze treats her like shit when she's a little kid, and then 20 years later, she's still obsessed with him. She, he treats her like shit again. <laughs> I think my favorite part is when she's trying to do her job, and he like parks the motorcycle in front of her and uh, sexually harasses her until she decides to go out with him. Will not take no for an answer. but And then eventually, of course, she needs to be rescued. Like, yeah. there's no chemistry between her and Nicolas Cage. Like, none. And there's no reason for her to like Johnny Blaze. So when it comes to him sacrificing everything to save her, I don't buy it. The big win for the movie when they finally get the big bad Blackheart he tries to use his stare. The Ghost Rider can stare at you and force you to live all of the sins that you've committed or feel all the pain yeah, from the, the sins. A penance stare. And his penance stare doesn't work as he says to the Ghost Rider, your penance stare is no good on me. Until the ritual... I don't have a soul. Exactly. Until the ritual where he consumes like the thousand darkest souls that all come into his body at once. Which actually, now that I think of it, almost exactly the same thing happens to the Stephen Dorff character in Blade. Um, but anyway, yeah. <laughs> he gets all these souls in him, and then, oh, a party on. Now not only can the Ghost Rider use that, but that's going to be the big thing that kills him. The villain is not necessarily defeated by Ghost Rider. He's defeated because he didn't think through his plan that clearly. <laughs> yeah. So... What you're left with is a crazy over-the-top and not-good performance by Nicolas Cage. I've made apologies for Nicolas Cage in the past. I've defended movies like Knowing, but I will not defend <laughs> Ghost Rider. Uh, interestingly, it's the one movie out of this list of movies that we're watching that I believe wasn't rated R. And is one, one yep. of the few movies of these list of movies that might have benefited from being rated R. <laughs> Donald Logue shows up in again and again. He has bad luck when it comes to superhero movies as Johnny Blaze's best friend who just spouts exposition and then 
fades into the background. Pointless characters. Uh, just it was a slog, <laughs> and that's where I leave it. Like it was a slog. I do not wish this movie upon anyone. Like I, so many of these movies we're watching is making me feel better about Blade, which is making me question my life. <laughs> well, but... and and you know, and it's 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 all of the all of the awful expositive plot that is used to tie together the CGI scenes, and then the CGI scenes really aren't that good nope. like a lot of them are just him with flame effects stomping around swinging a chain or uh pyro like he explodes a bunch of cop cars in the one thing or and he gets angry oh and of course there's the classic like, oh let's have every cop shoot him mm. yeah. we had that scene in spawn right again it's just like a bunch of scenes from different movies like cut copy paste the problem is, is that Ghost Rider was such a cool image, and it like shouldn't have been so hard to make it watchable. But this is your host and random Canadian Larry Parsons saying, "It is not watchable." Yeah, it's 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 trash. Jonah Hex. You don't look so tough. Hey Hex, what happened to your face? <sighs> Cut myself shaving. What happened to yours? Always do lock when you finally show up. Jeez, woman, how many men you see in a day? Quentin Turnbull is... You dare say that name to me. Quentin Turnbull surfaced about a month ago. We want Turnbull dead. Why don't you just say that to begin with? Anything new, Smith? Thought you'd never ask. <laughs> I take it that means you approve. This is the future. Future's bright. Can you shoot? Can you? This war begins right here! I own you now! Now you must for being owned. Turnbull! We didn't near settled our score. So, uh, we're going to talk about Jonah Hex. It's directed by a man named Jimmy Hayward. He is known for directing Horton Here's a Who and another animated feature called Freebirds. I assume it's because he was proficient in special effects is why he was selected to direct Jonah Hex, although it doesn't have a whole shit ton of CGI rendering in it. It certainly has its fair share. But it's strange when you think of, like, like those are the three movies he's made, okay? Horton Here's a Who, Freebirds... Jonah Hex. One of these things is not like the other. One of these things is not the same. But what makes Jonah Hex especially guilty in a way that some of the other movies that we have been talking about are not as guilty is that Jonah Hex came out in 2010. The Marvel Cinematic Universe was sort of a thing, you know. It was the properties were popping. Uh, what a good comic book movie was. And how to build a comic book world was, you know, being presented to us very well, very efficiently by Marvel. So when you hear about Jonah Hex coming out and you hear like this crazy uh, cast that oh. uh, is involved, uh, Josh Brolin, John Malkovich, Michael Fessbender, like it's it's strange. <laughs> like uh, all of these really talented people are in this really, really not good movie. It's written by this team, Neville Dean and Taylor, 
who wrote the Crank movies and the second Ghost Rider movie. And typically what I say about them is I don't think they're amazing screenwriters, but they're good at momentum. They can keep a movie moving, with the notable exception of Jonah Hex, which seems to, even though it's largely on horseback, to be spinning its wheels. (laughs) The other fun fact that I want to get to before I try to describe the plot is Michael Shannon was in this movie, and he was cut out of it. Almost entirely. Um, Jeffrey Dean Morgan, Nagin from The Walking Dead, was in this movie and was almost entirely cut out of it. I'm starting to wonder how much of this movie ended up on the cutting room floor. Because at 81 minutes, it seems like it's about an hour of setup to 20 minutes of action. And not a lot to recommend in the in-between. All of this in spite the fact that Jonah Hex is one of the coolest, most badass characters out there. So I'm disappointed with Jonah Hex, but uh, I'm here to hear what Brock has to say. So um, I, I had a few things to say about Ghost Rider that, you know, because I, I do, I really hate that movie. I I had never seen uh, Jonah Hex leading up into this, and I, I that's on purpose. I, I love Jonah Hex. He's one of my favorite characters. I love that genre of like alt western where it's a little you know like um little steampunky but not quite but really dark and gritty maybe of the maybe there's a little bit of uh supernaturally to it yeah, it's you know, a like, horror um, western that's what i say right? it's, it's like yeah. a, a western constantine in the way he has all these supernatural powers he's half dead he can communicate with the dead all of that that's business. all bullshit that's all bullshit that's all bullshit the half dead thing is all bullshit and completely made up for no reason at all. <laughs> Part one of why I hate this movie so much, <laughs> you know, and it's, it's like, I hate this movie. Like, like I would probably hate a crazy person that murdered somebody I love. Ouch. Like I'd be like, I could, I can't even understand the 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 insanity behind them but i'm just so mad that they did it because this movie is is awful like there's just it's it goes nowhere it 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 leaps around there's this choice to have a metaphysical battle play out in some spirit world between him, between Brolin's character, between Jonah Hex and Malkovich's character, who I don't even remember his name, and he screams it over and over again throughout the movie. Um, uh, Turnbull. Turnbull is the... Turnbull, right. And, and any time Hex is losing or dying or hurt in the, in the movie, they cut to him losing to Turnbull in this metaphysical spirit world fight. No matter who he's fighting, like if he's fighting one of his under, he's fighting one of his underlings, and he gets he's, shot with a shotgun, and he's near death, and it's like it's, it's always almost the end of the fight, you know, in this in this this spirit world, right? Which, you know, I can understand picking something like that and going with it to kind of, but they just keep going back to it, and they keep going back to it and back to it and back to it to the point where, at the end, he's fighting Turnbull, <laughs> in the real world, and they keep flashing to him, fighting him in the spirit 
world. And it's like, what are you doing? Like, this is just, it just makes this nothing to this. Oh God. And like, you know, the, well, he gets let's... shot with a shotgun and he ends up the, you know, Oh, okay. and here come the native Americans to patch him up. And it's just like, Oh, we're getting ahead please, of ourselves. No. Let's, we need to set the table before we start moaning. Cause I don't think we're <laughs> oh, making any sense oh. yet. I know. I'm sorry. Josh Brolin plays Jonah Hex. He was working for uh, Quentin Turnbull, but decided that the guy had gone off the reservation. is a little bit too crazy. Uh, but in exchange for betraying Turnbull, Malkovich kills his wife and his kid in front of him and disfigures his face and leaves him for dead or, or leaves him scarred and ruined. So to me, this whole metaphysical thing, uh, this no matter who he's fighting, no matter what he's wrestling with, it's all Turnbull. It's all in his mind about Turnbull. Um, that again, I'm, I, that's my trying to defend this <laughs> really hard <laughs> to defend movie. Um, with I guess the only cautiously pleasant thing I can say about Jonah Hex movie is that at 81 minutes, I didn't feel the length as much as I did in some of the other movies that we watched, like <laughs> Ghost Rider at 123 minutes. Like, it, it, it was a chore. There's something about how this went so catastrophically wrong that is weirdly fascinating. One of the most popular and interesting actors that we have going right now is Michael Fessbender. Michael Fessbender plays one of the big bads. He plays this guy, Burke, who there's a huge fight scene that happens to it. And... <laughs> It's one of the classic, like, when bad movies happen to good actors. Because you can see Fessbender trying to find a way to make that character better and more interesting than he is. And unfortunately, he's not having that much success. I think the person who comes closest to success is John Malkovich, but maybe only because he's had practice from doing shit movies like Con Air and shit like that in the past. Mm -hmm. Where once you've played Cyrus the Virus, the idea of playing someone who is just so clearly just a, the personification of bad is something he can do in his sleep. And maybe that was the problem. Maybe it was like, mm. who can we get to be Turnbull? What's the most obvious person? Hmm, John Malkovich. Who do we get to be Jonah Hex? Well, who's hot right now? Josh Brolin. Uh, who's a super hot love interest that we can plug into this movie? Ooh, Megan Fox. We need some comic relief. What do we got? Uh, Will Arnett's popular these days. It was almost as if this movie was spat out by a fucking computer, <laughs> right? If we put enough talented people in this movie, it won't matter that even though we have seven screenwriters and no script, somehow this movie will magically come together. And luckily, this big-budget special effects historical extravaganza is being helmed by somebody who's never worked with actors before. <laughs> like... I don't know yeah. how it looked good on paper. I know that even Josh Brolin has publicly said, you know, bad things about the movie. Uh, you know, it, you know, it started off with a bunch of cool ideas and us believing we could make a really badass movie. And somewhere along the way, <laughs> it went south. So look at Jonah Hex as a cautionary tale. One that's easier to stomach than some of the longer ones here, like I said, like Ghost Rider. I would not say watch Jonah Hex to learn anything about Jonah Hex or comic books or how to make a cool comic book movie. Watch Jonah Hex to learn what not to do. 
when adapting a comic book. Know what, watch Jonah Hex to know what happens when you cast types for the parts instead of the right actor mm-hmm. for the job. I could get in more to the plot about Turnbill making this unlikely huge high-tech machine, second only to Kenneth Branagh driving the mechanical spider in Wild Wild West, this device that he has created that can obliterate an entire town like it's a a nuclear arsenal in 1880-whatever, where this is supposed to be set, is, you know, even by comic book standards, pretty silly. (laughs) So, But that that is a... At its, that's at least somewhat, like, Jonah Hex ends up against things like that. Right. Right. And, like and that's, that's the cyberpunk least... sort of angle you were talking about. Yeah. Well, and but the problem with this is it it just feels like, just feels like it's trying to be wild wild west, but without any way to get there. Yeah. It's not funny. It's not scary, and it's not exciting. <laughs> so. Yeah. You know, they say, like, never, you know, never follow a better comic, right? Like, Wild Wild West is not even a good movie. So why why would you try and latch on to what it had so disastrously failed to do with better, you know, money and time and effort behind it? But when I talk about, like, Punisher, where it would jump crazily from extremes in tone so that the whole movie didn't make sense, this movie felt strangely toneless. Yeah, it just plods along. Which is bizarre, because there's so much cool stuff in it. I like the idea of him being able to question a dead man. I like the, like, ideas in the movie. It reminds me, this is a much better movie, but another comic book movie called Constantine, where it's... It's not an amazing movie, but you can see all of these cool ideas in it, and there's enough, you know, cool stuff in the movie to make it worth your time. <laughs> Whereas I, I should hate Constantine a lot more than I actually do. I really don't mind it that much, but I, anyway, well, it has its problems. We'll but it's a conversation that, yeah. for another day. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It, it, it say what you will. It picked a tone and went with it. Whereas this one doesn't have a tone. Like I said, it just it just lays out there. It, it 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 plays before you. It doesn't affect you emotionally. It doesn't affect you. You don't get engaged by the story. You don't get most surprisingly engaged by the performances. Because like I say, everybody in this is good, with maybe the exception of Megan Fox. I don't know if she's good or bad. She's just fucking hot. <laughs> but but, but it, it's it's almost completely unmemorable yeah. as well. Right? How did? How does it? How does he win at the end? <laughs> Turnbull gets caught no, no, up in the gears of the machine, and the machine explodes with him on it, as I recall. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like, I have to think about it. I can't go. Oh, in that scene where the you know, it's like, oh yeah, right. Yeah, the coolest part of the boat. yeah, the coolest part of Jonah Hex was blank. Was yeah. I? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I got. I don't know. You know. <laughs> You know what I did like about it? What's that? Fuck all. <laughs> How about we stop there then? Uh, it's time. I know that this list is almost, you know, judging shades of brown on shit, but. Uh... <laughs> I'm curious to hear, uh, how did these rank? What was your least favorite of these scary comics and why? Our, uh, number six, Jonah Hex. 
the insane person that killed my family member. <laughs> I, uh, I, I just, there's just nothing to this movie. I mean, the CGI is bad. The action's bad. It has no, it had budget. It had actors. It had everything it needed to be passable. You know, like it didn't have to be a brilliant movie, but it, it was, it's just, there's nothing. It's not even, and it, it, it's not even over the top. It doesn't make any strong choices. It's lazy. It's lazy. It's sloppy. And it has, you know, even some of the other movies on here, you can be like, well, it was a product of its times. Well, this is the heyday, right? This was like one of DC's first uh, attempts. And I mean, not that they've done great with all their attempts, but this one was a real setback. They needed to try a little harder. Yeah, there's, it's just there's nothing there. I mean, yeah. And then so number five is Ghost Rider. Uh, you can only make cool things so much in your movie without, you know, anything else. And that's all that there is. There's some cool scenes with Ghost Rider that, you know, like where he's riding his motorcycle down the front of the building. That's at least a scene. I was like, that's a cool scene. And there's none of that in Jonah Hex, which is why it, it got slotted just above it. I love Nicolas Cage in a couple of movies, but in the, in general, I find him just, he's just an anchor. He's terrible. And he's terrible in this movie. And there's just nothing else to it. Like, it's not even a good movie. There's a, nothing good on any of the levels, but uh, next up is Spawn. I mean, oh my God, this movie is just over ambitious and I can put it above the other two for trying hard and failing, but uh, it also tried hard and failed for reasons that it shouldn't have failed. Right? Like you can, you can say, oh, well, you know, CGI is really expensive and it's hard to do, or, oh, you know, like this is that. But, like, you can cast better than that. You can get better performances out of the actors that are there. It had good actors giving bad performances. And, well, I'll forgive CGI of the time and, you know, for whatever other things that were going on, like we discussed with, you know, potentially time crunches or, you know, uh, special effects guys that were, you know, pretty too, too new to be taking on a movie of this magnitude that only that only holds so much water before you're like yeah but this is still a really hard movie to watch because it's really not that good uh number three is punisher the only reason that it got number three instead of blade because i put these two really close together as well blades my number two uh is that blade at least maintained its theme, whereas Punisher did that awful yo-yo in the middle where I just didn't know where I was going. Plus, it you know the needless rewrite of the the, the beginning, the 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 ludicrous um, you know Nancy Drew stuff going on. Yeah. It's just it's it drops it below. Blade is at least internally consistent. It's not high cinema, but it's it is what it is, and it you know it's a Wesley Snipes action movie that's that's themed after a Marvel comic, and I can live with that. Yeah, it's not something I would ever watch. Uh, probably again by choice, but it is what it is. And uh, my number one movie is Darkman. I think it is the actual only successful movie of this bunch. Uh, it's successful in tone. We talked about it at fairly good length. I don't think we need to necessarily go over that again. Flaws aside, it's uh, of any of these that I'd watched before, it was the only one I was happy to watch again, and I was afraid I wouldn't. And I was happily surprised that it actually still held up. And I think that's a testament to... Um, you know, it's also, when you really think about it, it's the only one of these movies that had a proper director yeah. helming it. And that, you know, when you, 
you have to be the right kind of director to do these kinds of movies. Yeah, he was still pretty young. I guess he made Evil Dead in 1982, so he'd been making movies for eight years. But I think that this was a next-level project for Raimi, at the very least. Like I said, he made Darkman yeah. to prove that he could, you know, handle a budget type of movie, you know. And you feel yeah. the love in Darkman in a way like... The person that you hire to direct Ghost Rider should fucking love Ghost Rider and be thrilled that he got the gig, you know? Yeah. It shouldn't just be like, well, this will be a good excuse for me to show off my special effects work. I usually try to treat a, even a, a mediocre movie with kid gloves, but there's something about when you have millions of dollars at your disposal, when you have this level of talent to put into your, your, your cast and your special effects, that... It should. A lot of these movies, just by the, the, the property itself, should be watchable just because of that fucking image of Ghost Rider, like we said. Like, the bare simplicity of, you know, the Punisher being Death Wish the superhero, you know? Yeah. Uh, it should work. It should, like, like, these are basic comic book stories, you know? Yeah. Uh, they ain't deep. So you'd think that they wouldn't be hard to translate, but... Uh, here's my list. Unfortunately, we are not going six for six or zero for six, <gasps> but this was a race for the last place. It was tough. Um, mm -hmm. Hopefully you're not too mad. I did not put Jonah Hex on the bottom. Believe it or not, I put Spawn dead really? last. <laughs> the, I think that the potential for that to be something that was really exciting and cool and different, the fact that the hero was brand new from Todd McFarland, who was the hottest name in comics, that it dealt with hell, that it had an evil clown in it, that it had all the stuff that should have worked and been cool, and that it failed so utterly and completely. The special effects were embarrassing. It's the only time I can think of where I'm actually watching Martin Sheen actively suck in a movie. <laughs> and, like, this man has been in terrible movies, but always been able to somehow pull out at least a decent performance and retain some small measure of dignity. I, like, I'm sure, like, he was probably felt so lucky when he got the gig on the West Wing after Spawn came out, because that might have been the thing that had killed his career. In fifth place, I put Ghost Rider. And Ghost Rider was the closest to, to beating Spawn to the bottom, but... There were a few accidentally cool sequences in Ghost Rider, and the effects weren't terrible in Ghost Rider, so I gave it fifth place. But again, shades of brown on shit. Like, I'm not recommending <laughs> either of those. All the way in fourth position, Brock, is where I put Jonah Hex. It's one of these movies that I refer to as being a fascinating catastrophe. Because it is, <laughs> it, it's a catastrophe. Nothing works. Nothing works. And that in itself is weird and interesting. Like, it's almost accidentally interesting to watch just to see, like, how could this not have at least been okay somehow accidentally? <laughs> like, um, in third place is the tonally all over the place, The Punisher. I think something that I neglected to say when we were doing the review is that as incompetent as the screenplay is and the tone shifts are, it's actually a pretty well-made movie, technically. The action in it is yeah. decently handled. There's yep. craft to it. But this is not yep. my Punisher. And like I said, you can either be dark as shit, heavy revenge movie, or you can be a, a fish-out-of-water buddy comedy. You can't be yep. both. Not even if you're yeah. Deadpool. 
if they'd cut that whole apartment weirdness and just had it be like him doing a longer extended vid, like vendetta against them. Yeah. It had been, it had been, I mean, I'd have forgiven a lot more of the weird storage things that they decided to do. Yeah. As long as I felt like it was still telling a consistent story. I think it would have been a way better movie. Yeah. I have to say, Brock, I am uncomfortable almost edging on hating myself for putting Blade all the way in second place. Because I'm not a huge fan of Blade, to be honest. But for a style as substance movie, or something you can watch with the the sound off and say, ooh, look at the pretty colors. For the yeah. kind of amusing self-love that is so obvious in Wesley Snipes' portrayal. Like... He loves playing Blade. He loves how cool Blade is. And on some level, I think, believes, at least when they were making the movie, that he was Blade. So say what you will, he committed to the part. But it, And it doesn't, it doesn't try to be anything that it isn't. I agree with what you're saying, but I would still say that uh, Blade, I think, you know, thinks it's a little bit smarter than it is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but... The special effects work, and Wesley Snipes looks the part. You know, it's the yeah. closest. It's closer to successful than the rest of them. But like, <laughs> I, I already reviewed Blade Two in the podcast, and it's directed by Guillermo del Toro, who's a guy I fucking love. And I, I know. And it's it's you know like I said then, and I will reiterate it now. I I am not a fan of the Blade franchise, and yet somehow yeah. Blade made it all the way to second place. I think this the books were cooked with this uh, dark man being in the list. I mean, some people might argue, is that fair that it's considered a comic book movie? I think it's a comic book movie. <laughs> I don't think you have to be based yeah. on a comic book to be a comic book movie. Clearly, Sam Raimi was trying to make a comic book movie. He just, uh, in a way, he unburdened himself from the you know the nerd blowback by not having source material to wreck you know and, well, and by coming up and he with said the, he would have made a comic book movie if he'd had the ip he yeah. just couldn't get the ip yeah so he redid his own yeah right like and and i think fairly successful it's probably yeah. about 40 percent crazier than it needs to be and about 60 percent more violent than it needs to be but for me that 100 percent works but like I said, there will be a few people out there who will say, oh, I've never heard of Darkman. I should watch that. And they will watch it and they will think you and I are fucking insane. But I will 100% stand by the fact that it is clearly, head and shoulders, the best movie out of this group of six. And if, well, you, if you should decide to bless me and do another episode of Rank and Review, I promise that we will find a list for you that gives you some good things to say. <laughs> Thank you so much brother for participating in another episode is there anything you'd like to say to those kids on the internet before we call it a night yeah you know uh one of the things and i always harp on this i, I said it again in our last one if you haven't checked it out take the time to check out the the dc animated work that's being done at their animated studios they've they've done a bunch of feature length stuff a lot of it's some of it's on netflix it rotates in and out um it's worth the time. They are putting out at almost as good a movies in animated form as Marvel is putting out, and certainly better than the live-action DC stuff, which so far I have not seen a thing that I have in any way been impressed with. Yeah. 
I believe, like, I think that the that animation is a really great medium for superheroes and comic books. Stuff that looks weird in a comic book will look less weird if it's animated. Oh. I think. Okay. So, uh, you know, make those stories more adult, and yeah, I'm on. I'm on board. I'm on board. And so we get to the end of another fun-filled episode of Rank and Review. And yes, Brock Knutson, it looks like he's going to be my superhero slash comic book guy. We're going to take on six X-Men movies when next we speak. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed that, and I hope you guys have feedback to send me. And if you do, you send it to rankandreview at gmail.com. That's R-A-N-K-N-R-E-V-I-E-W at gmail.com. Also, you can find the show on Facebook, and you can find the show on iTunes. If you leave me a positive review on iTunes, that's super helpful for me. And if you give me a like and a, you know leave a message under your favorite episode on Facebook, that's super great for my morale. Please keep listening to Rankin Review, and please tell that other movie fan in your life about Rankin Review. Because it's here, and it's waiting for them. <laughs>